This is The Water Cooler. I'm your host, Joseph Harper. Each show we bring you real and imagined tales told by people from all walks of life. Our theme this episode is Hope for a Generation. We've got speakers from different generations sharing their personal stories of hardship and hope. The Water Cooler is proud to be collaborating with youth mentorship organisation Ngā Rangatahi Toa to bring you these stories that matter. Quick note, these stories were told live and language and themes may not be for everyone. Our speaker Yvonne Bay is 16 years of age and recently performed in Manawa Order at the Herald Theatre. Yvonne is a poet and this spoken word piece she created is about her past, what has made her and what she has become. Here's Yvonne's story. Kohoko Hinga Go Ivoni, born December 31st, 1998. Growing up, living a happy life. My dad, a Kiwi, my mum, his tongue and wife. My big brother was cool, but I was very shy. Being bullied at school, being made to cry, tried to stay strong, didn't feel like I belong. But my dad was always there the one who would always care. He was always so kind when others were so mean. Losing my father at age 13, my world tumbles down, shatters into pieces all around. I didn't know how to cope, so I turned to drinking and dope. Got boyfriends, left school, Felt so much pain, playing it cool. My auntie got angry, tried to change my ways. She put me in hospital for three days. Felt betrayed by my own mother. She chose her new husband over me and my brother. But I didn't even bother, not knowing who to trust, still trying to grow up. I was lost, could not even count on myself. I needed someone to help. Here comes my friend, showing that I care. These feelings inside of me, I cannot bear. I don't know how I survived. After turning the other cheek, I was no longer whole. Forsaken myself endlessly, weak, but still, I have hope. I stood in old footsteps after falling down. At time's end, I found nothing could put me back where I belong again. Forgetting all the problems, forgiving, and believing in myself that I am worth living. This generation is careless. We have to be fearless. Let's break the cycle of deceit. Push stop, not repeat. Start this world anew. It doesn't start with them. It starts with you. Have hope in yourself and those around you, and you will see how great this world could be for you and for me. It's not hard, so don't make it be. It's only the fear of the possibility of losing everything. Don't fear, have hope. Look at me, here I am today sharing my story with you. I am back to who I was before, but with even more too. I am stronger, I am independent, I am beautiful. I have learned to love myself. Within me, I have hope. Days will be brighter, laughter and tears will come again, 
Hold on, pain ends. Thank you. Thanks to Yvonne for sharing her story. Our speaker, Dominic Hoey, is also known under the moniker of Tourette's. He's a musician, slam poetry champion, and a widely published writer. He has performed his spoken word poetry in Australia, Europe, England, Japan, and America, and his first novel, Iceland, is due for release next year. Here's Dominic's story. Growing up, no one bothered to tell me I was dyslexic. There was a lot going on. Cursor Jensen had disappeared. Michael Jackson did the moonwalk for the first time, and Return of the Jedi was on at the movies. On top of that, half my family's dyslexic, so it wasn't like I was special. I don't want to imply that a diagnosis would have made any difference. I doubt I'd been able to pronounce dyslexia, let alone understand what it meant. It seems cruel to have such a complicated word for a learning disability that affects language. <laughs> so I chalked it all up to laziness and stupidity and got on with things. Where most people think of dyslexia, it's backwards letters and messy handwriting, like a shopping list written by a drunk Russian. <laughs> In reality, it's a complex disorder with 37 symptoms, ranging from the predictable, trouble reading and writing, to the bizarre, things like keen eyesight and building complex fantasy worlds in your mind. For me as a child, I mean a speech impediment, being shit at sports, and even potentially the worst handwriting written by anyone with opposable thumbs. My primary school practiced an experimental form of education that involved beatings and put-downs to help students reach their full potential. One of the techniques favoured by my teacher, a fat pig-like man, involved chucking my exercise book in the rubbish or exclaiming loudly that I'd be lucky to get a job in the factory. How right he was. <laughs> when these state-of-the-art educational practices failed, I was placed in a special ed class, a windowless box where we attempted and failed to read books from the 1960s. My other classmates seemed to have more pressing worries than bad spelling. One girl, who I assume was deaf, would bellow incoherently at random intervals. Another of my classmates would sit staring at the wall, snot running down his face, pulling on the desk in front of him, while our disinterested teacher repeated the sentence, Jane runs up the hill. But my parents, never fans of authority, refused to believe my teacher's prognosis that I wouldn't learn to read. My father's thoughts on the matter, and I'm paraphrasing here, were fucking bullshit. They read to me most nights everything from Tolkien to Spike Milligan, Beatrix Potter to Edward Lear. The stories swirled around in my head, giving me my first taste for language. I'd sit in special ed, staring at the piece of wall where windows should have been, losing myself in the world of Bad Jelly the Witch, while the teacher repeated the sentence, Jane runs down the hill. <laughs> One day, my family packed up and moved us to Warrington, a small village outside of Dunedin. I can't remember this being discussed, but there was a lot going on. Nuclear ships had been banned from our, waters, uh, from our waters. The Rainbow Warrior exploded, and Back to the Future was on at the movies. <laughs> Warrington was overrun with smiling children wearing woolen jumpers and riding bikes through the gravel streets. <laughs> Instead of fights involving half the school, we went for walks in the hills. Instead of throwing rocks at cars, we rode horses along the beach. The biggest culture shock was that our teacher didn't appear to hate children. She said nice things to us, offered words of encouragement, and even taught us things. Over the two years I spent in Warrington, I went from struggling with Harry McCleary to reading Charlotte's Web without moving my lips. These books were like steroids for my imagination, and I would lose myself for hours inventing stories in my head. When we returned to Auckland, nothing much had changed. Every night, the roaches still held meetings in the kitchen. The children played knuckle bones amongst the shadows, and the dog quiet performed until dawn. Back at school, I wandered the playground of my friends, making up lies about the South Island. 
the teachers didn't know what to do with me. I was now reading at an advanced level, but I still talked funny, still couldn't catch a ball, and my handwriting still looked like a Len Lai experiment. <laughs> I was put up a year and then back down again before being lost amongst the chaos of our overclouded classrooms. One day, while watching a friend demonstrate what happens when you shoot a staple gun into a window, I had a brilliant idea. I would take all the nonsense in my head and commit it to paper. I came home from school that day to find the dog on the garage roof. He liked it up there. The smell of burning offal hung in the air. My parents were in the kitchen, my father busy microwaving a cow heart for the dog's dinner, my mother reading a, <laughs> my mother reading a book at the kitchen table. I want to be a writer, I told them. For fuck's sake, my father said under his breath. <laughs> dog's on the roof, my mother said, looking up from her book. It's not that my father was unkind, but I was no child prodigy showing latent signs of promise. I had only just stopped reading spot books. And when I did start writing, my poetry was rhyming couplets about why no one liked me, and the less said about my early attempts at prose, the better. <laughs> Jump forward to high school. Kurt Cobain had just shot himself. The internet was learning to walk, and once Warriors was on at the movies. By now, I had filled countless books of awful poetry and short stories. I'd become obsessed with stationery. I could do a separate talk on the merits of the Warwick hardcover 2B8s. <laughs> Always looking for validation, I made the mistake of showing my poems to my English teacher. I found her sitting at her desk, watched over by a giant Shakespeare poster. Excuse me, miss. Her face dropped as she looked up and saw me. For fuck's sake, she said under her breath <laughs> as I handed her my book of poetry. Poems, you read, you read them, please, I muttered. You don't have it, she said after flicking through a few pages, filled with misspelled angst and heavy-footed cliches. I wasn't sure what it was, but assumed it must have been important. Deflated, I left school and walked through the park. If I didn't have it by age of 15, what hope was there? Back home, the dog ran up and down the hallway with a tambourine around its neck. I made a sandwich and sat on the couch. What's wrong, my mother asked. Apparently, I don't have it, I replied. You'll get it in the end, it just takes a while. You think so, I asked. Who do you think put the tambourine on the dog's neck, she said. It took a few years for the nuance of my mother's advice to sink in. But in time, <laughs> I accepted that a learning disability meant everything was going to be difficult, and I simply had to choose something and stick with it. My old English teacher was right. I didn't have it yet. And I wasn't going to get it by going to school and pretending to understand Wordsworth. So I dropped out and threw myself into my writing. Years of struggling to do what came naturally to others had trained me well. I continued scribbling in 2B8s and reading them to anyone who would listen. I got out books from the library with titles like So You Want to Write and Poetry for Losers and scoured them for tips. I thrust scraps of paper covered in writing into the hands of anyone I thought might be able to offer advice. After a gap decade, I enrolled at university and watched my A-plus average plunge to a B-minus when I was forced to write by hand in my exams. And it started to pay off. I began to win poetry slams and rap battles. I got a record deal. My writing was published in magazines and journals. Today, if I'm known for anything, it's my words, which still seems crazy to me. It doesn't feel like long ago there was such a source of shame. That speaking out loud was to invite ridicule. ridicule. I, don't want, I don't want to even imagine what life would have been like if I listened to the people telling me all the things I couldn't do. Or if my parents had allowed me to be defined by my disorder. Perhaps that's why they never bothered to tell me, why, bothered to tell me I was dyslexic. Or maybe it's because they understood that no one really knows what they're talking about not the teachers or the academics or the education specialist. So what does it matter if you have a name for why you talk weird or lie compulsively or whatever it is that makes you an individual? I'm going to end on a quote from one of my old writing teachers, and again, I'm paraphrasing. Whatever parts of your work people hate, embrace them, because that's what makes you unique. Thank you. Thanks to our speakers, Yvonne and Dominic, for sharing their stories. 
If you've got a great story to tell or would like to hear any of our previous episodes, visit us at thewatercooler.co.nz. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. This episode was produced by Roma Miro, and thanks to the creator and director Sarah Finnegan-Walsh. Special thanks to the Basement Theatre and The Wireless for their continued support. I'm your host, Joseph Harper. Join us again for more stories from The Water Cooler.